Welcome to the Leadership Now podcast with Dr. Aaron Rock, lead pastor of Harvest Bible Church in Windsor, Ontario. On this show, we talk about the nuts and bolts of theology, church life, cultural issues, pastoral leadership, ethics, and other relevant matters that will help you to lead better now. I'm your host, Chris Yeoman, and today we have a special Canada Day podcast episode for you. We call it the Path Forward for Canada. And so, Aaron, we just want to hear a little bit to start with about your history in Canada and perhaps a general, um, in your general notions of what Canada was like for you growing up. Sure. Yeah, well, today we're going to talk about what I love about Canada, what I hate about Canada, and uh, what we want to see moving forward. So I was born in Canada, and my primary residence is always being Canada. I, I did do two of my four degrees in the U.S., uh, going back and forth, but I've spent my entire life in this country. And my family uh, has been in Canada for a long, long time. So one of my grandmothers, she was actually born in England. She was uh, she met a Canadian soldier and, and came to Canada after World War II. But pretty much all the other branches of my family have been in Canada since the 1800s, the 1700s, etc. So my last name is Rock, R-O-C-K. Uh, from what I understand, sometime in the early 1800s, it was R-O-C-H. It was a, it was a French last name. And uh, before that, it was Thune, T-H-O-U-I-N. And so there was this Thune family that came from uh, France to Ireland to Quebec, probably in the, the late 16, early 1700s. And they had so many kids, they decided to um, divide up their family into three last names. And so one son's name was Germain, so they became the Germains. One son's name was Rock Thune, so they became the Rocks. And then the rest of the Thunes stayed as Thunes. So um, that's kind of an interesting back backstory. But uh, the point I want to make is my family has been in Canada for a long, 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 long time, for several hundreds of years. And I feel very Canadian. Uh, growing up, I always felt very Canadian. I was always you know, proud to be a Canadian. Um, I have great appreciation for different European countries and obviously the United States, but I always wanted to be a Canadian. I wanted to to live in Canada, you know, and my grandfather, uh, O'Brien, fought in World War II and my great-grandfathers, um, Hatch and O'Brien, fought in World War One, and one was killed in, in France in, in action and the other was severely injured in uh, trench warfare and you know he was gassed several times so when he he came back to Canada he didn't live too much longer so two of my uh, great-grandfathers died as a result of um, fighting for freedom and justice and liberty which is you know part of our our history and uh, the other served my grandfather served as well so I I have a I've, I've had a strong you know historically a very strong affection for our country but that's changing. I uh, I I am actually quite ashamed. I'll be I'll be straight with you. It's Canada Day. I'm very ashamed to be a Canadian. I'm very disappointed in Canada. I'm very very disappointed with the vast majority of the population that seems to be okay with um, the movement in our country towards a totalitarian system. I don't think it's going to be called communism, but it smells an awful lot like communism. It acts a lot like communism it 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 presents itself a lot like communism 
and I'm I'm concerned about the you know denigration of the family in our country and the, and the replacement of the, the 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 esteemed position that the nuclear family has historically held with fake marriages you know like gay relationships and um, lesbian relationships as being you know the, the 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 cool way to live your life i'm concerned about that i'm concerned about the the destructive ideologies that are being taught to our children in school contrary to even what parents want mm-hmm. i'm concerned about the economic devastation and so forth so lots of things about about canada that 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 disturb me and uh, we're trying to issue you know a bit of a prophetic warning to people to to wake up and be aware but also to try to plot a path forward hmm. So obviously we've talked on this show quite a bit about the concerns about our government's response to COVID. Uh, we're going to discuss a few more issues that concern you and perhaps why. And we'll start out with religious freedom, sure. uh, which is has been a hallmark in the West of Western uh Western civilization. Sure. Yeah. Well, this is one of the things that we've noticed with the whole response to COVID-19 is the, the relegation of the church to, you know, less than essential status in, you know, in the, in the cultural uh, realm. And uh, part of that is um, obviously satanic in nature. The devil's alive and well, and he's, he's wanting to, to dupe and destroy and to, uh, you know, dismiss the work of of the, the Christian Church, but if you if you pay attention to the cultural trends, so for example, various as as in every country, tragic things happen, and so you have a mass killing over here, a school shooting, a report of some horrendous murder, racism over here, uh, maybe arson. Um, Police mismanagement, criminal activity—you know—in in, in the narrative of any country's history, you get all these crazy things that happen. It's normal. That's life in a broken world. Mm-hmm. But what we're seeing is, uh, when I was very young, I think I would say that we lived in a Christianized country, not a Christian country per se, in the purest sense of the word, but a Christianized country. Jurisprudence, mm-hmm. social notions of right and wrong were kind of based on cultural. A certain cultural affection for biblical Christianity. So, you know, we prayed the Lord's Prayer in school, which had a pedagogical purpose. We, um, our, my grade five teacher read us the Bible. People would acknowledge that uh, sex outside of marriage was wrong and, you know, not really appropriate. It was allowed, but it was considered kind of shameful. Not, yeah, right? shameful, not, not really acceptable. Um, then we entered into a post Christian culture where People sort of pulled out the the mores and tossed them aside, and uh, morals were just sort of overlooked. and And now we live in an anti Christian culture. So uh, I'm thinking about the rediscovery of these abandoned cemeteries on the indigenous, um, uh, not indigenous, but for indigenous children on government lands. The residential school system. We covered that a few podcasts yep. ago and and mm-hmm. you know we're not in any way shape or form happy with what happened there because the state has no business forcibly educating anyone's children and that roman catholic church made a critical mistake in serving the government in that way but um you don't burn down churches because you're mad at what happened mm-hmm. in that situation but i think we've had a dozen churches in canada torched and 
Uh, we don't hear anything from our prime minister. As soon as a mosque is vandalized, you know, he he chimes in. As soon as, uh, you know, a gay trans um, stop in center clinic, whatever, uh, is vandalized, it, you know, it's front page news, et cetera. But when there's attacks on the church, you don't get that. You don't get that kind of response. When there's vandalism on churches, as we've experienced here, you don't you don't get much of a response. Um, the constant blaming of, you know, white Europeans in particular for all the cultural woes of our nation. Uh, this isn't about white people or black people. This is about what historically white Europeans represented, right? So this the the heart, the sort of the cradle of Christianity started in the Middle East, migrated you know, into Europe, over to North America. Now I would say it's dropped down into South America and back to Africa. But for a period of time, it was sort of European. It was, for whatever reason, it was primarily being represented by uh, white Europeans. And um, a lot of the cultural systems and structures that exist in in our country are a result of those Christian people, regardless of their skin color. It was a result of their faith. Mm-hmm. So all of us is being tossed aside, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we have this these censorship bills and that sort of thing that are also going to affect the ability to, of churches to to get their message out. Yeah. Which ones are out there just for our listeners and perhaps for those in the States that aren't aware of the, the recent bills, can you go through them quickly at a high level? Sure. So federally we have bill C10, which has been passed in our house of commons, but it has not yet been passed by our Senate. And, um, you know, probably won't be till the fall because the Senate's, you know, taking the summer off. And uh, the, you know, the basic idea there is um, is to give the government control over what is and what isn't posted on the Internet. So much like radio stations have certain things they can and cannot say, they're monitored by the um, CRTC, I believe it's called. Mm-hmm. Now the government wants to take it upon themselves to sort of monitor online content. And it's all driven by this narrative that, you know, we got to stop hate. We got to stop hate. We got to stop hate, right? Because their their ridiculous notion is that hate, which is a heart issue, by the way, mm-hmm. is you know fixed when you censor people, which isn't true. It won't work. Uh, but it's also a misuse of the word. So they're they've taken the word dis- disagreement and changed it for hate. So if I right. disagree with the LGBTQ agenda or something, suddenly I, I'm, I'm a big hater. I hate people. So. There's and they kind that. of and they kind of brought that bill under the guise that it's like we're going to protect Canadian content to produce Canadian content and make sure that people can see Canadian content as part of it, right? And then they're twisting, throwing in there the hate speech stuff. Yeah. So then of, we have Bill C six hot on its tail, or thirty six. Bill Bill thirty six. Uh, that what yep. I said. Yep. Yeah. Bill C Bill C thirty six. Yep. Which is more personal. So if I'm offended by what you say, I can take you before a court and potentially have you charged under the criminal code for you know discriminating against me, hating on me, et cetera. Now, the way this is being framed up, and it's very interesting. So it's being framed up as, uh, no, this is going to be positive because what's this? what this is going to do is it's going to allow people that have been sidelined to speak more freely. And the list of people that have been sidelined include women. Mm-hmm people of color and members of the LGBTQ2 community, as they call themselves. Well, what does that leave you with? White men. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so 
this, this, this is again, this is all part of the, if you study the cultural trends, this is all part of the Marxism, the cultural Marxism, where you have to destroy the patriarchy. The patriarchy, again, historically, this is not a racial comment. It's not about what pigment is in your skin, but historically in Western nations in recent centuries, white European men represented the government, the clergy, kind of the values that held Western civilization together. It just happened to be, for, for historical reasons, that was the case. It could just as well have been people with reddish color skin or brownish color skin or whatever it might, it might be. It's, right. it's not about a superiority. It just is a fact. Yep. So um, the censorship bills have Marxist overtones written all over them and definitely totalitarian overtones written all over them. And churches that are foolish enough to think that they're going to, you know, sort of just peddle their content online or do Zoom church long term are going to have a rude awakening awaiting for them. Mm -hmm. Now, we're seeing some issues as well. And we've that certainly the last year and a half has heightened this with COVID in our medical systems. Uh, maybe you want to speak about medicine a little bit. Well, you go to school, you study biology, you study chemistry, you study the sciences, and you know over time you get you get a degree, right? You get a PhD in a particular area of science, or you get a medical doctorate, and you become a physician. And these are worthy and honorable vocations, but we have censorship now in medicine. So if you're an MD, a licensed MD, but you speak out against the political narrative. All of a sudden, you're being threatened by the CPSO, the, the you know Canadian College of uh, Physicians and Surgeons, or sorry, the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Ontario, to have your license suspended. Mm -hmm. So this is no longer science that we're seeing in medicine. This is biopolitics. It's a blending of politics and you know the biological sciences, where now if you're a physician, you know, you have to tow this cultural narrative, right? So you have to be pro-abortion, which is anti-science because any thinking person would clearly recognize that a genetically distinct individual living inside the body of another person at any point in their uh, gestation is a fully indistinct human being. So it's abortion is anti-science. Um, you're the pressures on physicians to engage in medical medical assistance in dying, sort of the Bill C-7, which we talked about mm -hmm. in a previous episode. So we have that on the table. Um, we have gender transition surgery, which is not driven by science at all. It's driven by an ideology. Mm -hmm. It's not a scientific principle to say you can pick your gender, or change your your gender, and then we'll, well, let's take the word gender, make it different than the word sex. So physicians now... And increasingly, the young ones that are being trained up in these sciences are coming into it not really as scientists, but sort of as biopoliticians, as I'm as I would call mm -hmm. them. In that, there's a blending of the biological science and a political agenda, and the dominant political agenda is this neo-Marxism, which we see woven into uh, our culture in an increasing way. Now, I'm curious to know whether this like is a world over issue like in Western Europe. Is this something that we're seeing as well coming? So, so for the listeners that don't know, my heritage is Dutch, uh, the Netherlands. And so they are, if you think Canada is liberal, they're 10 steps further down the line in terms sure. of legalizing prostitution, abortion, yeah. et cetera. I'm, anyways, I'm, I'm curious if that Marxism kind of influences there too. I would imagine it is. 
Uh, well, it does degree. to some degree, but the mindset of of uh, Europeans have a have a perhaps a greater skepticism. I'm speaking in generalities of Marxism because they lived under this garbage and mm. they're affected by it. Like it actually took hold of Europe and led to the destruction of millions of people. So there's this historic cultural memory that they would have there. And I'm not a European, so we'd have to refer to European pastors and scholars to understand this better. But my suspicion would be they would be more suspicious of it. Whereas um, when Marxism came to North America and some of the early Marxist leaders after World War II and even World War I perhaps and sort of took over, mm -hmm. got involved in some of the faculties of Western universities, they had an agenda. And in some respects, North Americans were a little more naive and still are. Mm -hmm. We tend to be a bit more ignorant. So what's interesting, even in our own country, when you listen to sort of natives, however you want to define that, people that have been here for several generations, they're just sort of, yeah, we'll just go along with it. We don't really care. But, you know, I'm, I've talked to a, a friend recently from Brazil. He's going to be in, in church on Sunday. He's very concerned, you know, mm -hmm. with the trajectory because he saw what took place, you know, in Venezuela during his lifetime and with, you know, the, the tyranny there. Um, you talk to people from uh, Vietnam that mm -hmm. are in our church, very concerned about the direction that the country's taking. You talk to people, a, a lady reached out to me from, uh, who, who emigrated here from Russia. Mm -hmm. You know, like if you talk to people that came out of countries that were affected by this totalitarianism, they're very concerned. What do you got all these ignoramuses in Canada saying? It's, ah, it's not what it is. It's just, you know, they're just trying to do their best. Let's give them a break. And this is all going to blow over. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's no problem. So there, there's a there's a naivety mm -hmm. and an ignorance in North American culture in particular that that has given, uh, I, I, would, I was going to say a foothold, but I'm gonna just going to say a stranglehold on the culture when it comes to this, this uh, very false godless ideology. So a couple more things I wanted to come back to uh, in terms of, you know, some primary issues here. We talked about the value of life. We've maybe mentioned that already about how about the economy? Yeah. Um, well, the Bible is not an economic handbook, but you could develop a really good economic handbook out of the Bible because the Bible says a lot about money. It talks about that subject more than almost any other subject in scripture because it's very practical about the way we handle our possessions, our wealth. You know, the Bible says, he who gathers money little by little sees it grow. So there's a theology of, of saving mm -hmm. there. Uh, he who does not provide for his own is worse than an infidel. So there's a theology of generosity and provision for, for, for one's family. There's a, a theology of passing on an inheritance to one's children of uh, avoiding debt, you know, not being indebted, of, of, of giving and being cheerful in your giving. So there, there's a lot of principles there that form the basis for economics. We're, we, we may, um, I have a good article on my um, uh, website, my blog, pursuitofglory.org, written by Jonathan Wellam mm -hmm. on the state of the economy, especially in our own province, but applies to Canada. And he's a, you know, a financial expert in Ontario here and becoming a good friend. And he, he, um, you know, he mentions in the article that Ontario is the most indebted sub-sovereign state anywhere. So we have all this debt. And then in Ottawa, they're just printing money hand over fist with no real uh, monetary power behind it. So it's just, it, we're, infl it, we're gonna have problems with inflation. 
Um, we've essentially shut down our country more or less for the better part of a year mm-hmm. and maybe for another year. I have no idea when this is all going to kind of just end. So we're, we have this notion that big brother, the government's going to provide for us. So people are concerned, you know, the houses are skyrocketing, mm-hmm. lumber prices are way up. So commodities, foods, all that are, are going up in price, but the income, the income is not there. The income's not keeping up. We have young people that are trying to save up for a house. And it's like the houses are, are, are increasing in value quicker than they could literally save up their down payments. Okay, I got my down payment saved up. Oops, houses just went up another mm-hmm. 40% from January to June in our region. So um, there's concerns about that. And, uh, you know, there's concerns about the, the collapse of the, the economy, the, the collapse of the dollar. And, of course, a lot of people are carrying around bucket loads of debt. Mm-hmm. Um, the kind of debt they can't offload. So I'm not talking about mortgages. We're not talking about reasonable mor- mortgages where reasonable mortgages where you could just sell the property and get your money back. We're talking about you know debt for vehicles that depreciate the moment you drive them off the lot. Debt for furniture, you know, layaway plans. Debt for clothing expenses. Debt for food, restaurant bills. Mm-hmm. You know, edibles, consumables. Uh, people are carrying around a lot of debt, and it's it's very concerning because uh, there's not just some guy up in Ottawa that can wave a magic wand and fix all this stuff. Right. Yep. So uh, let's think creatively about solutions. So what do you believe needs to happen in our churches specifically uh, to contribute to a healthy path forward? Well, obviously, we need to pray and encourage one another and meet needs and just continue to do ministry as best as we can. But thinking more high level, I think um, most reformation, revolution, if you want to call it that, uh, lasting change, if you want a softer term, starts with good teaching, right? So we, in our churches, we need to hear more teaching uh, that helps the church to understand her true identity. You know, as we're, we're aliens and strangers and sojourners in this world, this world is not our ultimate home, but we do need a more robust uh, theological system in our church when it comes to helping people understand that that the church is not the state. Yeah, this isn't our eternal home, but we are Christ's embassy. We are salt and light, and it's our job and our generation to herald the eternal gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, but also to bring the practical here and now ramifications and implications of the gospel to bear on politics and education and the family and how we spend our money, et cetera. So we need to do a better job of that. I think we've sort of been raised mostly in a holy huddle theology where it's like, you know, we here's the world out here doing their thing and we're just sort of huddled up in our little churches getting a little breather on Sundays. And then we go back out and we don't make a difference at all. And we, you know, we try to do our little personal evangelism courses. But if if you're the kind of church that's still just teaching personal evangelism courses and you're not helping your people to understand cultural theology and how to actually engage with the systems and constructs that make up society, I mean, you are you are way, way behind schedule. So you you know, you need to make a corrective there. Um, we also need to teach people a robust theology of, you know, the separation of the church and the state. Ontologically, they're different. They have different job descriptions, different responsibilities, and people need to understand, you know, what those are. And we've talked about them at, 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 on other shows. 
I also think that um, this the church needs to start to feel comfortable again, as it historically has, holding the state to account for its its actions. Instead of just, oh, well, we're just going to pray for our premier or pray for our prime minister or write him a letter or put together another peti- petition that he's just going to toss in his waste paper basket. We need to understand how we need to have the ear of our officials, municipal, provincial, federal pastors and Christians need to build relationships with these people, be on the phone with them semi semi regularly, express our concerns. Um, Christians need to run for office, by the way. And uh, and then also we need a more robust theology of justice. So the social justice warriors are concerned about you know, homeless shelters and opioid addictions and that, and we should concern ourselves with those things. But we, we've tended to take our view of justice and focus it upon the travesties upon the individual. Uh, hmm. You know, such and such as living on the street. I saw a guy in a cardboard box in the street, so I gave him a sandwich. Okay, great. Thanks for doing that. That's a wonderful thing. I think Jesus would, would commend you for that. But what about the structures and systems that are behind that? both in that man's life, the errors and lies that he may have believed in to put himself there, and the the things that are going on in culture that may actually facilitate negative behavior to put him there, and then things in culture that make it perhaps impossible for a person like that to have a a meaningful living or whatever it might be, Mm -hmm. or even the education that he received that influenced the decisions that he made or the Mm -hmm. circumstances he found himself in. So we can't just run around with a box of Band-Aids sticking it on wounds. Mm -hmm. We need to hunt down the the enemies and we need to get rid of them. So we need a more broad view of justice, uh, you know, holding the kings of the earth to account for uh, to judge and to rule according to God's law, God's word. Mm -hmm. And when that happens, even the proverbial pagan benefits from it. Mm -hmm. So... You mentioned social justice, thinking about the structures. One of the things that immediately comes to my mind is the legal structures that we have. Uh, we have rule, well, we, we should have rule of law that even our leaders are accountable to law. Um, so can you speak for a few minutes about how we leverage the law to the benefit of the nation and to the church? Well, Christians have historically uh, understood the rule of law as being important and being a blessing to the nations. Um, In Romans 13, you know, rulers are called God's servants. So that implies God's deacons, right? So that implies that they serve a higher power. Even in that admonition to the individual Christian to obey the authorities, the authorities serve a higher power. And in our country, um, you know, many of the laws that we've historically had in place, even something like the Lord's Day Act, you know, which went away in the 80s and um, was challenged in the Supreme Court in the 80s and kind of went away in the early 90s. These were laws meant to protect and bless people based upon God's word, what we would call God's law. And when I say God's law, I'm not just talking about the rules and regulations of the, you know, Levitical system or something like that. I'm talking about God's rules for living, the mm-hmm. things that God declares to be right. You know, murders unacceptable and rape and adultery are unacceptable. So we have laws in place and these laws protect nations. Blessed is a nation whose, you know, God is the Lord. And um, we, so we, we understand that and we've benefited from that. But what we've seen, now we've seen 
So we've talked about these bills, C6, mm -hmm. C7, C10, C36. Mm -hmm. These are all classic examples of secular or humanistic or Marxist or godless laws that try to somehow get a hearing as they present themselves in you know, some sort of quasi-moralistic way where we're trying to protect people from discrimination or we're trying to help people who you know don't have a voice. It's all smoke and mirrors. This is about the state taking the place of God, mm -hmm. essentially. It's the yeah. state controlling morals, deciding what's hateful and what's loving. You know, we get the love is love. Mm-hmm narrative right we see you drive through your tim hortons drive through you see it on their your you know your mcdonald's you see it posted on the drive through window love is love so that's a moral claim and then if you speak out against gay rights or whatever it is it's it's a hate crime so we have uh even with the indigenous issue the 215 um bodies that were discovered in this abandoned cemetery um it's they, they want to make it a racial issue to silence the, the patriarchy. In actual fact, it's a damning indictment on the state mm -hmm. that organized these atrocious institutions. Now, they had their reasons for it because there was a lot of problems in the, uh, in the reserves at the time. But they, they had a solution that, you know, was heavy-handed and, and inappropriate, however you want to frame it up, wrong. So, um, we have... These new laws trying to supplant the old laws, the old laws are more Christianized laws or Christian-based laws or biblical-based laws. The new laws are based upon the new gods that want to rule us, rule us, which is the, you know, the 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 supposedly benefit all-seeing, all-knowing modern uh state. So we're we're at the end of the day, every nation has to be ruled by some god. And I'd rather be ruled by the loving, benevolent supreme creator of the universe the biblical god than i would be by a virtue signaling um confused uh totalitarian state god which is the direction our country is moving in so how do we fix that we need more christians in law uh we need more christians leveraging the law as currently you know, the biblically based laws is currently written for our benefit. We need to be familiar with what our rights are. We need to fight for them. We need to lobby. And by the way, this is going to be a long-term fight. Hmm. Yeah. So long-term thinking, uh, one of the things you and I have chatted about many times is education. Um, so, you know, the next generation is being educated right now. What's your thoughts on the state of our school system, uh, on the state of government in involvement in the current system that we have? Well, public and Catholic education right now is atrocious. It's an embarrassment. Um, get your kids out of public education yesterday. Uh, when I was young, I was raised in the public school. There were issues there. You know, you had to concern yourself with evolutionary teaching and kids smoking in the smoking section and the odd joint being passed around. It's a whole different ballgame now. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's indoctrination. It's in everything. You know, you can be in math class and somehow – you know, you're being taught on radical sexual ideology. You can be in a nursing course at the university and somehow they, they take you there to the, the Marxist agenda. I know this for a fact. It's taken over everything. It's woven into every aspect of life. 
you know, my, my daughter who's in, in, I uh, just finished the 10th grade, grade 10, um, you know, she had this kind of four part or three part science classroom science course that she took. And, uh, you know, normally in the sciences, you'd study climatology, you know, it's climate change, right? So it's an ideologically mm-hmm. driven approach to the science. So the, Whatever the sort of buzzwords, catchwords are of the day. So if it's sex education, no, it's no longer education on the biology of sex. It's it's about picking your gender. It's about having sex with whoever you want. It's about love is love. You know, however you want to define love. Um, it's it's you're in a history class. It's you know anti-colonialism. It's it's anti-European. It's it's anti-Christian, right? It's it's whatever whatever sort of popular and cool and culture is what's going to be woven into those curriculum. It's all woke. So um, if you get people's kids and you put them through eight, nine, ten years of elementary education, four years of post-secondary, and then you put them through another four years of university. And Christian people, astonishingly, seem to be quite contentious to hand off their children mm-hmm. to these people with almost no conversation. Well, then you're going to get the the son or daughter that identifies as a man when she's a woman or wants to pick her pronouns or, mm-hmm. you know, abandons the faith or, uh, you know, buys into the, the a lot of the critical race theory that's being discussed in culture today. It's it's um it's very dangerous right and if you're not in a robust church and evidently we're seeing there's not very many of them around if you're not in a robust church this teaching cultural theology systematic theology biblical theology and then just living life as a community of faith apart from a sovereign move of god your kids are doomed mm-hmm. so we're done with uh any uh, giving any gold stars to the public education system you know, our, our people need to pull their children out of the public education system, especially at an elementary school yesterday. They need to homeschool. They need to get them into private schools. They need to form homeschooling cohorts or co-ops. Whatever um, means you need to take, if you, if you know of parents that are intellectually delayed and they have children, maybe you can help to educate their children. You need to do that. You have a moral responsibility to do that. Churches need to start. Christian schools or be supportive of homeschooling co-ops or whatever, whatever um, means we have, because if we don't, we're going to lose our kids. So now uh, if you are a public school or Catholic school educator in Ontario, Alberta, Canada, wherever you are, even in the U S you need to go in as a missionary so you need yep. to, this isn't just a career. You need to see yourself as a missionary. So is there a place for Christians in education? Absolutely. You need to go in as a missionary. You need to become the principal as soon as you can. The superintendent as soon as you can. You know, get your master's degree in education, whatever it might be. Get your doctorate in education. We need to take back these institutions. But even in saying that, we understand we're not playing an 18-month game. Mm-hmm. You know, we're playing a 10, 25, 50-year game. If we're deliberate about it, to get back and influence these education educational institutions for the better. Mm-hmm. Well said. So hopefully that's some uh, incentive for a few of you to to really put your head down and pursue that. Now, economically, we talked about this a little bit just before. You know, people are for fearing the collapse of the housing market, the value of our dollar, 
there's even discussions about universal income, which is where we basically are becoming employees of the state. They give us money. Uh, what can Christians practically do to prepare and respond financially? Get out of debt as quickly as you can. Uh, pare down your material possessions. So if you need to sell stuff off to do that, do that. It would be very wise for as many Christians as possible to start their own Christian companies um, or collaborate with other Christians to start companies where you're not beholden to some secular woke employer, you know, to follow whatever trends. Because there's more coming. There's more trends coming, right? Mm -hmm. Right now, everybody's concerned. Oh, I don't want to wear a mask at work. Yeah, that's the least of your concerns. Mm -hmm. Okay, there's all sorts of other stuff. We already have the, you know, the, the mandatory training for... Uh, you know, sensitivity training, you know, I got to be sensitive to people of different persuasions. So we bring, you know, experts in. People can actually start companies in this. You can make money as a sensitivity consultant, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's absurd. So you come in. So we have all of that. The least of your concerns should be wearing a mask. More and more of this stuff's going to be foisted upon you. So while we need, we still need Christians in, in these different spheres, because not everybody can get out of secularized employment, you need to be a missionary. Uh, if you're an engineer, start your own engineering firm. You know, if you are an, an educator, start your own private school or do uh, offer tutoring for, for parents. If you're hands-on, start your own painting, plumbing, framing, roofing company. Get Start your own retail store. Uh, you know, fix bicycles, repair cars, whatever it might be. More Christians need to become bosses. Okay, listen to this. More Christians need to become bosses. We need to become more entrepreneurial. We need to um, rise as high as we can in the institutions of our, our state. But we also need to start and then employ other Christians so that we can set the ground rules, right? So you talk about underground church. It's almost like underground employment as well. So that's that, I think, is going to be another uh, aspect of it. And then we need to teach people, like I've said earlier, robust theology of, of, uh, finances. So the universal income thing, if, uh, if you're not familiar with that to a listener, you know, there's discussion in our country because we're in massive debt and a lot of places of business are shut down or barely open because of this, um, epidemic and, or endemic, whatever you want to call it. Um, so there's been discussion, well, if, if we sort of list totally tank, well, then the government, there's discussions based on different, the research of different think tanks, if you want to call it that. I'll call them unthinking tanks. <laughs> but to say, well, we're just going to sort of offer debt forgiveness. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll pay off your house, we'll pay off your credit card debt, we'll pay off your car. But we now have, the state now has ownership of those things. That's part of it. And then we'll just give everybody universal basic income. Well, where does income come from? From the pockets of someone else. So you're creating a system of laziness. You're de-incentivizing people from working and so forth and so on. So we need to be shrewd and uh, supportive of one another. We need, Christians need to hire Christians and start companies together like yesterday and become more independent. Um, growing your own food is not a bad thing. What's the worst thing that can happen? You can sell it at the road as organic produce, right? Mm -hmm. So these are some things that Christians need to re-engage and they're all based upon, you know, biblical uh, principles. 
Do you have any advice for those people looking at cryptocurrencies? <laughs> What's your way in on cryptocurrency? Yeah, I don't have much of it, much okay. advice on that. I've, I've been exposed to it a little bit, but you might be disappointed to know I haven't researched it enough. Okay. I'm more into like gold bars, even though I don't even own one yet. Okay. <laughs> I like the idea. Like the idea, the stability of it, right? If we're coming for an economic crash. A big crypto- pile of gold bars in the back lawn. I don't know. <laughs> That's good. Very good. Okay. So last question. How long do you think substantive change is going to take? Well, um, I think I think we can start to see things turn around in a generation or a generation in, in a bit. So if you think about, if I think back 25 years to, uh, you know, my college days. So I guess I started college 30 years ago, which is kind of weird to think about, but started college 30 years ago. Um, there was a lot of problems in Canada, but that was a livable point in time. You know, 1991, that was a livable point in time. So that's, you know, 25, 30 years ago. So if, if we were to reverse things with the same rapidity that things have gotten to this point, you need at least 25 years to get back. Realistically, we probably want to go back about a hundred. I'm not talking about a hundred technologically or, you know, I don't want people to think, you know, the 1920s or some idyllic period, mm-hmm. but what to take our country back to a place of uh, where there's a true Christian foundation to our nation. And a lot of people feel uncomfortable with that because we've been falsely told, taught that that means we, we're throwing out the gospel and we're just trying to make people act like Christians. That's not the point at all. Don't mm-hmm. Don't accuse people like myself of suggesting that in any way, shape or form. We're talking about God's laws, God's virtues, God's commands being woven back into the legal, the educational, the medical institutions for the benefit of all people, all nations. And as people are re-educated on what's right and wrong, and even as it's a prerequisite to understanding sin and salvation and grace and mercy and all of that. So um, I, I don't. I don't know specifically what the future holds, but I have this sense that uh, those of us that might want this to be fixed in a year or two are going to be very disappointed. I think we need to have a a 25-year mindset just to sort of get out of the hole and then probably another 50 to 75 years to make things right. So we're talking about a fight that's going to last longer than my lifetime or yours. Mm -hmm. And the good thing is we have children and we have new disciples being made all the time. So we need to think generationally about this stuff and we need to think long-term um, and uh, you know, think differently, I suppose, than we have because we kind of want things quick, right? But I think we need at least 25 and realistically probably more like 100 years to see things turn around. That, that presupposes that we're very deliberate and methodical and committed to this and that, you know, more churches uh, and institutions are willing to rise up and be, and be part of the solution. Mm-hmm. Now that can sound overwhelming. So would you have any advice to someone that's like, okay, a hundred years, the whole country, that's huge. <laughs> like if we break it down to a bite size, t- final takeaways for someone listening to Yeah. Well, what, what makes it, what takes away the overwhelming factor is just an acknowledgement that we're not God. We're just here for a moment of time, as someone has said, wedged between two eternities. We're responsible for our lifetime. We may advance the ball down the field 30 yards, 
not actually get the touchdown, but we've contributed to the the game. And this is why we need to think about children, grandchildren, how to set them up for success, how to educate them, how to train them well. Um, in the meanwhile, keep loving Jesus, mm-hmm. keep sharing your faith, keep reading your Bible, keep short accounts with God when you sin, and we all do. Stay praying, stay fasting, and uh, trust in the Lord. You know, with 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 all your heart, and serve Him, and uh, you will see. Uh, incrementally positive change taking place. You'll see that. But we are just flex of time, right? We're just here for a fleck of time in, in the big picture. Um, this world is obviously not our home eternally. But uh, yeah, just just get rid of the God complex, I guess, and, and exercise you know patient endurance and let God be God. Excellent. Well, happy Canada Day, Canada Day to all those who are listening. And just a reminder again, you can hear the Leadership Now podcast now on the CJXC Radio, Canada's constant Christian companion. It's on at 11 a.m. on Tuesdays and rebroadcast 11 p.m. on Thursdays. You can also hear us on the Fight, Laugh, Feast network. And we'd encourage you to download their app, the Fight, Laugh, Feast app. You can grab it in any Apple Play or, or Google store um, to download the app. And there's not only Leadership Now podcast, but other podcasts from here in Canada and a growing list. And so make sure to do that, to to download the app and subscribe. Uh, Thank you, Aaron, for your time today and for investing in Canada and in the future. And we just encourage all of you that were listening today, if you can do us a favor and uh, share this podcast on social media, make sure to rate it as that helps get the word out and have even greater impact. Have a great day and we'll see you next week. 